Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. chapter 3, I'll be reading from the Message Bible. You can follow along whatever translation you have. But as I said, we're on the threshold of a brand new year, and there's always something exciting about a new beginning. Amen? I remember when I got born again and realized the new beginning that I had, I was really full of joy over that. I was happy about it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But, you know, a few days from now, the ball's going to drop in Times Square like it has every year for I don't know how many years, and we'll ring in a new year. And then, of course, we have all the so-called experts trying to predict everything that's going to happen. I mean, we got sports predictions, stock predictions, weather predictions, and especially with this upcoming uh, presidential election year, we have a lot of political predictions. But you know what? I don't really pay a lot of attention to those kind of predictions because more times than not, they're wrong. Amen. (laughs) So you can't have a lot of confidence in them. But I can make one prediction myself this morning that is absolutely true in every way. And I predict that if you don't change the ways that you're thinking, the way you do things, and your attitude going into this next year, you're going to probably have the same things next year that you had this year. Amen. We can't continue doing things the same way and expect them to change. That is not how it works. If you want change in 2020, then you have to change first. Hallelujah. And the the thing that's worst of all is the same regrets you have leaving 2019 behind, you're going to have the same regrets when you leave 2020 behind. So some, some of us need to change. Not everybody. Some of you had a great year, and you're happy with it, and you'd be happy with it if it was repeated next year. I don't know who that is, but praise the Lord. I hope you enjoy it. But I want change. Sure, we did some things right, and sure, some good things happened in our life, but a lot of bad things happened. A lot of bad decisions were made, and a lot of bad things that we don't want to repeat in 2020. Amen. 2 Peter 3.10 The Message Bible, it says, But when the day of God's judgment does come, it will be unannounced like a thief. The sky will collapse with a thunderous bang, everything disintegrating in a huge conflagration, earth and all its works exposed to the scrutiny of judgment. Since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God eager for its arrival. The galaxies will burn up and the elements melt down that day, but we'll hardly notice. We'll be looking the other way, ready for the promised new heavens and the promised new earth, all landscaped with righteousness. When that day happens, the day of the Lord, are we going to be ready for it? People always put off a lot of different things for a lot of different reasons. And they say, one day I'll do this or I'll do that. Someday I'll do this or I'll do that. Only problem is one day and someday never seems to come around. And we never get around to doing the things that we want to do. And people are by nature procrastinators. And the church is full of them. This church. (laughs) Have you ever heard the the saying, Why put off for tomorrow the things we can do today? Well, a procrastinator's motto is, why should I do today the things that I can put off till tomorrow? And again, tomorrow never comes. One day never comes. Someday never comes. When I get around to it, never comes. So things don't get done. You know, someday I'll do this differently or that differently. Someday I'll quit smoking, drinking, taking drugs, acting like a fool. Someday. Don't worry. When I get older, I'll start living for the Lord. And I'll start doing the things I'm supposed to do. 
But like I said, someday, one day, you know, when I get around to it, it's all elusive. It never seems to come around. It never seems to happen. Well, if I had more money, I'd do this or that. If only the weather was better. If only I had more time. Well, you know what? If we keep on thinking like that, we're never going to get anything done because we'll never start it. Stop wasting time. Just step out and do it. Start it with one step. Whatever it is that you've been putting off, do it or I promise you, you will regret it. Someday will come. One day will come and you'll be saying, I wish I would have. You know, Pastor, Pastor Rhett and I have personally sat alongside of a lot of deathbeds uh, in our time in ministry. And there was a lot of times that we've actually ushered people into the kingdom of God while praying and holding their hand. They passed into eternity. And you know what's so amazing? No one ever uh, said on their deathbed, I wish I would have done less. Nobody ever said, I wish I had more money. Nobody ever said that. And I've preached a lot of funerals, more than I want to, and, and, and for a lot of different people. And as far as I know, none of them ever took their money with them. None of them ever took their riches with them. But I'll tell you what I have observed. Most people always wish they would have done more in life, would have spent more time with their loved ones, would have accomplished more things than they did, and would have did more for their spouses or for their children. And sometimes I've even heard them say they wish they would have done more for the Lord. But my point is this, more times than not, all we hear is the things they regret and, and the things that they haven't done, the things they wish they would have done. And, and sometimes the things they wish they wouldn't have done. But we never hear them. They're never satisfied. They always have regrets. But in every case, without exception, never one time have we ever heard someone say, I wish I would have done less. They always wish they would have done more. They always have regrets about the things they should have done, would have done, could have done, but didn't. So my question this morning is this. Why don't we do more with what we have right now? Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of opportunity. Don't put it off for one day, someday, or uh, when I get around to it, because that never happens. Why do we wait? Why do we live life, uh, the life that God had planned for us? I mean, why don't we live it now? In other words, we should strive to live life with no regrets. You know, when that day comes, and, and I'm, I hope I'm not, but somebody is standing over our casket preaching a funeral, I hope that they have some good things to say about us. Let me read a poem. It's called The Dash by Linda Ellis. I've read it at funerals before. This is no funeral, but it's appropriate. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special da dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read and your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about you and how you lived your dash? You know, the most unhappy person in the world is not someone who didn't get what they wanted. The most unhappy person in the world is somebody who got what they wanted and then realized it wasn't what they needed. 
The secret to a happy life is not getting what you want all the time, but learning to live and appreciate the things that you do have. And most of us spend our lives concentrating on what we don't have instead of thanking God for the things that we do have. I'm telling you, we have far more things to be thankful for than we do uh, than the things that we don't have or wish we had. And if you're faithful and it's God's will for your life, you'll someday have that thing that you want. But if you do it God's way, it'll be something that you enjoy having. It'll be something that will be satisfying to you. And you won't be looking and say, what in the world did I want this for? What in the world did I see in this? I don't even know. I don't want it. I don't need it. But I'm telling you, when God blesses you with something, you'll appreciate it and you'll enjoy it till either you wear out or it wears out. Amen. But life is a battle of the wills, the will of the spirit and the will of the flesh. And unfortunately, uh, most people's flesh is stronger than their spirit. In other words, their flesh is ruling their life rather than being guided by the spirit that's attached to God. Uh, The Bible tells us the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. In other words, they're never in agreement with each other. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So that's Galatians 5.17. And it seems that for whatever reason, our flesh almost always chooses what we're going to do. We always seem to be given into the flesh in most areas of our life. Why? Because the flesh is a pleasure seeker. And if it's something that gives it pleasure, it's going to be strong against the spirit, which knows better. Amen? And so uh, usually when we get in that tug of war, if the flesh is stronger willed than the spirit, then the flesh is always going to win. But you know what? The, the flesh is on a road to destruction. The flesh is never going to be happy with anything that it has. And it's always going to seek more. You know, how much is enough? When it comes to the flesh, it's never enough of anything. Never enough uh, money, never enough material things, never enough food, never enough of this, never enough of that. And your flesh will drive you to an early grave. Amen. So we need to learn how to listen to the Spirit. We need to renew our mind on the Word of God so that when the flesh and the Spirit are contrary and they're pulling and pushing against each other, the mind will say, whoa, stop. We're going to do it God's way. We're going to do it the Spirit way. Flesh, shut up and sit down. Because, you know, our flesh needs to be told that once in a while. It needs to be told when to get out of bed, when to go to bed, when to eat, when not to eat, when to work, when not to work, when to have fun, when not to have fun. Our spirit should be controlling our flesh and controlling our lives. Amen. 1 John 2.15 says, Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love the world. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. You know, uh, practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all this wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. That was uh, 1 John 2, 15 through 17 in the Message Bible. And, And that is so true. But whatever does what God wants is set for eternity. How are you gonna know what God wants? His spirit is going to tell you. His spirit is going to lead you. The word is going to lead you. The word is going to tell you what's right and what's wrong, what's good for you and what's bad for you. And you have to follow that leading. God says, I have an abundant life for you, not just life. Jesus said, I came to give life and that more abundantly. More abundantly than what? Than the life you're enjoying now. More abundantly than Joe the sinner's life that's living down the street. And I know we compare all the time. Well, You know, I've been serving God for 20 years, and it seems like Joe has a better house, has a better car, has more money, has this and that. But I'm telling you, he don't have what you have. Yes, you can have all of those things, but if you don't have peace with it, if you don't have joy and happiness with it, it isn't worth anything. Amen. 
God has abundant life, but he says, you got to trust me. But for some reason, we have more trust in ourselves than we do in God or his word. John 10.10 says, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So no matter how high you set the bar, God is still more awesome and more capable than you are of delivering yourself. But there's still some that think, for whatever reason, that they can do better. God, I know what your word says, but I'm going to do it this way. God, I know what I should do, but I'm going to take this shortcut. And we always get ourselves in trouble. I mean, God, the creator of the universe, who spoke the world into existence, who always was, who is now, and who always will be, the one who knows all things about all things, but he doesn't know what he's talking about when he talks to you. Go ahead and get quiet if you want to. I ain't scared. But let me simplify it for you. God wants you to have abundant life. He wants to give you life, and the devil wants to kill you. Is that simple enough? Who are you going to follow? The flesh and the devil, or are you going to follow the Spirit and God? I heard someone say, it might have been me, I don't know, but when I was 16 years old, I thought I knew a lot more than my dad did. How many of you thought that about your dad's? But by the time I reached 18, I began to realize that my father was actually a lot smarter than I thought I was, or I thought he was. And I wondered how he got so smart in just two years. That's how we are, though. I mean, there was a time when I thought I knew more than my dad. And then there was a time when I realized he was smarter than me, and he had more experience than me, and he knew a lot more than I did. And then as you get older, your kids seem to reverse things and they get to that place again where they think they're smarter than you, no more than you. I told Chris and Mike something one time. Chris rose up and he did it jokingly and lovingly, but he said, "Uh, one of these days I'm going to whoop you, old man. And I said, one of these days you might be able to, but I'm going to tell you right now, I have more heart than you and I won't quit. And he he just quoted that the other day. That's why I thought about it. But, you know, some people don't make that realization with God. They just go running through life from one roadblock to another roadblock, one detour to another detour, just ignoring the word and always thinking that they can do things better and they can do things faster and they can make better decisions on their own. But trust me, you can't. I mean, we go around and around making left turns our whole life and never a right one. How many times do you have to wreck a car before you realize you need some driving lessons or you have to change something? Amen? I've been, you know, I taught my kids how to drive. I'm teaching my grandkids how to drive. I taught uh, Matthew how to drive. I'm in the process of helping Ethan. Of course, his mother's helping him drive, too. Uh, he's learned how to drive a stick shift and everything. But one thing I noticed about Ethan is it seems like uh, he doesn't want to grow up. And he's like, if I learn how to drive and I get my driver's license, then I'll eventually have to get a job and then I'll eventually have to grow up. And he's not ready for that. And I don't blame him. And the reason I say that is because I noticed here lately that he's he's kind of putting the brakes on when it comes to driving. I force him to drive. I make him get behind the wheel. Oh, I forgot my license. I said, go back in the house and get it, you know. And uh, the other morning, we went to see Hollis at the hospital for a surgery, and I threw him the keys, and he was all kinds of excuses, you know. It's dark, it's raining, it's this, it's that. I says, get behind the wheel. And I made him drive to the hospital. I mean, the expressway. Brownsboro Road, Norton Commons, all that area in there. It's all crazy traffic and everything. I made him do the whole thing. And then I made him drive from there to Shelbyville. He needs, I think it's uh, 60 hours daylight driving and 10 hours of night driving. Right now he has like 52 hours of daytime and he's got eight or nine hours nighttime. He's almost there. And now he's putting the brakes on. 
And that's the reason. He had an opportunity. Him and his mom went to Ohio this weekend to visit her, her uh, uh, brother and sister and aunts and uncles and mom. And uh, he had an opportunity to drive there and back and finish his time and get his license. And he didn't feel good. He didn't want to drive. So I told him that, that he's not only going to drive, but I'm going to trade cars with his mother, and I'm going to make him finish his time in that stick shift. So he's going to finish his driving. He's a good driver, too. I trust him with my life, so he's got to be pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, we need some driving lessons in life sometimes. And who better to give us driving lessons than the Lord himself? Amen. I mean, who are we trying to convince? And at what point in our life do we realize that things just ain't working out? I mean, wake up. Get a clue. Things ain't working for you. Change something. And I don't know if you noticed lately, but there's a lot of lost and lonely people in the world. And I'm going to tell you something. I've been noticing them more now than I have before. And uh, there's a lot of people need to hear the gospel message. And God has somebody to listen to you, and you might be their only chance. Uh, this bothers me a little bit because, you know, sometimes we get blindsided by things. Uh, I got a call yesterday morning that my, my brother-in-law drove his car into a funeral parking lot and shot and killed himself, committed suicide. You know, one of the sweetest guys you'd ever want to meet. And, uh, you know, my sister just passed away a few months ago. It was his wife. And I guess it was just too much for him, you know. And I think about October when we had that family reunion and uh, I shook his hand and talked to him. How's things going? Oh, good. You know, and uh, I've been doing this and that lately, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I mulled this over and over in my mind, and I, I thought, you know, did I miss something? Uh, was there a sign? Should I have been paying closer attention, you know? And it's like when somebody loses somebody, and we spend time with them, and we show them we care, and we send them flowers, and we do this and that and the other, and then after the funeral's over, we kind of forget about them, you know? And that's the time when they need us the most. That's the time when we should be paying the most attention to them. And yet, for whatever reason, we're so busy with our own lives or we're just going through life blindly and we're not paying attention. I don't know what it is, but, you know, should I have seen something? Should somebody have seen something, you know? And as I look back on it, the signs were there. Uh... He sold his house quickly. He did a cash option deal on his house. He sold it for cash, probably way under market. Uh, he was packing everything up and giving things away. And he had an estranged son and an estranged daughter in Florida. And he made amends with them after years of not really having a relationship with them. He made amends with them. He even said he was going to move down there and spend time with his daughter and his son and his grandchildren and then for some reason he come back here and he didn't say much of anything and uh, next thing I know he's gone did he know the Lord I think he did you know he was he was a Catholic he went to Catholic Church and everything I'm I'm reasonably sure he was saved uh, you know, we're, we're not saved by works, you know, I mean, uh, Catholics are just different than most Christians, but it doesn't mean they're not saved, you know, but sometimes we wonder, is there something I could have said? Is there something I could have did? Could I have been more alert? Should I have paid more attention, you know? Should I have talked to him more that day at the family reunion, at the picnic, you know, and... Uh, I don't know, I guess we won't know until we get to heaven, but it's one of those regrets that you have, and this is what I'm trying to avoid. That's why I'm preaching this message this morning. You know, there's more in life than what you need. 
and what you have to have. And, you know, there's always somebody out there that's hurting. And, you know, especially in the church, we see people with smiling faces. They're dressed nice. They got the right confession. They say the right things. They, you know, praise the Lord and got their praise on and all of that. But we don't look deeper and see if they're hurting or how they're hurting. You know, some people are hurting, you know, because of a loss of a loved one, you know, like Sister Ann. She lost Pete, and she'll sit over there and smile, and she'll hug you, and she'll praise the Lord, but she's hurting inside. But, I mean, thank you for that, Captain Obvious. I know it's obvious, you know, but uh, some, what about that person that's not so obvious? What about that person that's got a, a financial problem, that person that's got a, uh, problems with their marriage, problems with their children, you know, uh, there's more to that person than the happy person you see here in church, you know. Uh, get to know them more. Spend more time with them. Be alert. Look for the signs, you know. Don't be fooled by the facade, the, the outer thing. And, you know, we learn too little, too late most of the times. So, you know, I just thought I'd share that with you. You know, I'm not looking for pity or anything, but it was a sad thing when we heard that, you know. It, it really gave me Pastor Ed pause, you know, and then I told Mike and Chris about it, and man, they were tore up. It really bothered Mike, you know, because we knew him. You know, he was our brother-in-law for 20-something years, but it's tough, and I just, I don't want to have regrets like that, you know. I don't want to say, man, I see it now. I wish I would have said this, or I wish I would have said that, or I wish I would have done something differently, you know? And, and uh, it was a wake-up call, you know? It's like, do it now. Don't wait till it's too late. Say those things now. You know, hug them now. Tell them you love them now. Forgive them now. Don't wait. Don't have regrets about it later. Nothing worse than woulda, shoulda, coulda, but didn't. You know, we need to come to the realization that uh, we're dying. We're not going to be here forever. And, and we need to come to the realization that people around us are dying. And we need to understand that. And we have to realize that they don't have to die without the opportunity of at least hearing the gospel or at least being witness to or at least being told that we have a God that loves them and doesn't want to see them perish. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. But, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in us and caught up in what we need and what we want and the things that we have to do that we just go blindly through life missing all the warning signs and missing all the signposts that God puts in our life. But there's no greater regret than to know that we had the chance to share Jesus with somebody and we didn't for whatever reason. We were too busy or... We just didn't want to or whatever. I mean, if somebody asks you for directions, I, I mean, usually, normally, you're happy. If you know where they're going, you're happy to give them the directions. You're happy to say, oh, you know, go down here for a block and then turn left on Main Street and then go down three more blocks and turn right on 3rd Street and, and then it's a few houses up on your left. You're just happy to give them that information. You know, you help somebody. Well, what if somebody is lost in the world and you have an opportunity to tell them that God loves them and Jesus is the way and he wants to see you go to heaven and not die and go to hell, you know, how much better would you feel knowing you gave somebody directions to eternity? And that's, that's what it's all about. Millions of people in the world looking for direction. And we walk right past them. Poosh. Don't even help them. Don't even show them the way. I mean, it's time that we let people know that you know the answer to all of life's problems. And you know the answer to eternity as well. And I believe someday we'll be held accountable for that. Someday we're going to stand before God and we're going we're to be held accountable for those missed opportunities that we would have, should have, could have, but we didn't. You know, God loves the lost. I mean, he died for the lost. 
He didn't just die for you. He didn't just die for those that are born again and Christians that love him. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world, the lost world, so much that he gave his only begotten son. Shouldn't we love him just a little bit? Maybe a little bit more than we do? We should. Hallelujah. I know sometimes we back off and we say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a shy type. I just, you know, don't you think God knows that? But he has a way of using you as well. You know, and some people say, well, I, you know, I don't want them guys at work to think I'm a fanatic, you know. Well, why not? What's wrong with being a fanatic for Jesus? You know, and besides that, they shouldn't know it after you told them. They should know it by the life you're living. They should know you're a fanatic for Jesus. Amen. And we shouldn't be concerned with what people think. We should be concerned with what God thinks. Amen? And, and, you know, we've always said this. If they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one you represent, and they're rejecting Jesus. And you just, I know it's sad, but you go like this, and you go to the next one. Amen? I mean, Jesus told the disciples, if they don't accept you, then just shake the dust from your feet and go on. There's somebody waiting for you, somebody that will accept me. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm trying to find a place to jump back in here. I just felt led to share that. I, you, know, you know, I think we all think when we're young, Shane, man, that we're Superman. And you are. You are Superman. But one day, just like me, you're going to meet your kryptonite. And that was the first thing I said when I come out of that doctor's office after he read my MRI and read my blood test and everything and told me that I had uh, two ruptured discs and I had sugar diabetes. I looked at Mike. I said, this can't be me. He's, he's got to be talking about somebody else, Mike. I said, I'm Superman. And me and Mike stood on the curb and cried and held each other that day. That was the day I realized I wasn't Superman anymore. That I had, I had some uh, infallibilities. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't as invulnerable as I thought I was. I, I found I was vulnerable. I could be reached. And it's a, it's a rude awakening, you know. And, it, and that day is coming for us all if the Lord should tarry. But be Superman as long as you can. Amen? And then when you come up on your kryptonite, defeat it. Stay away from it. Amen. See, we think we have an endless amount of time, and we don't. Time is short. James says, for life is but a vapor. It appears for a short time, then vanishes away. I don't know if you've ever seen a vapor. You know, it comes out of a uh, kettle or something. You go, Psh, and it's gone. And that's the way life is compared to eternity. Life ain't that long. You know, live it and live it more abundantly. But keep in mind those that aren't living such a good life, those that are not as happy. And, you know, we think this is a joyous time of the year and we're all supposed to be merry and all of this. This is one of the worst times of the year for some people. Because this time of the year causes memories to flood in, and, and some of them aren't so good. Some of them aren't so good memories, you know. And there's more people commit suicide this time of the year than any other time of the year. Why? This, this is supposed to be a merry time, a joyous time. Not for everybody. If it is for you, praise the Lord. Enjoy it. But realize there's other people out there that are hurting, and you might have a word for them. Praise the Lord. Psalms 90 and 12 tells us, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You know, live your days wisely. There's a time to be a fool. There's a time to act like a fool when you're young. But, you know, Paul said, when I was a child, I behaved as a child, but now it's time to put away childish things. It's time to grow up. Proverbs 11:30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. 
You know, but the older we get and the more we see death along the way, we come to the realization of how fragile mortality is. I know I do, you know. Uh, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm 71 years old, but I feel great. God's been good to me. Amen. I really mean that. And I, I'm a lot healthier than other people my age and even younger than I am. And had it not been for God, you know, I'm not boasting. I'm not looking down on people that had it rough or got things wrong with them. All I'm saying is, but for God, there go I. Amen. And, you know, the only difference between me and some people is God. That's the, that's the uh, uncommon denominator. And I know there's a lot of wicked people that are my age and are still healthy. But I'm still going to put my trust in God because i got something they don't have. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of growing old. But there's going to come a day when you realize, I ain't Superman anymore. I'm, you know, I'm immortal. I'm not immortal. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. God isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you. Holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's given everyone space and time to change. King James says to repent. See, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He knows what lies ahead. He knows our future. He knows the end from the beginning. He has given everyone a choice to either eternal life or eternal damnation in the devil's hell. And the opportunity to come and know Jesus, as your personal Lord and Savior, has been extended to everybody. But it's an opportunity for us to give the invitation. James 4.14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. And Jesus said he's going to return. And his second coming is closer now than it's ever been. And, and while the time is short to share the gospel, there's still time. There's still time for us to change. And there's still time for us to enjoy the life that we have right now. I'm not making predictions here. I'm not saying he's coming back next week, next month, next year. I don't know. All I'm saying is according to the word, we're supposed to be ready whenever he comes back. And the only thing that really matters in this life is what we did for God while we were here. And, you know, this is our wilderness experience. This is our journey to the promised land. And, you know, what you do here is what counts. What you do with the dash between born and died is what counts. And we will be held accountable for our time. Some people are afraid to share the gospel. Well, God's got something for you to do. And, um, Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Gwenny used to have this song in the back said, the Holy Ghost will take the chicken out of you. Well, he will. Besides, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I like the way the Message Bible says it. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Isn't that good? I don't know if it was supposed to rhyme or not, but it did. And he wants you to know he would never ask you to do anything that you couldn't do. If he asks you to do it, you can do it. And basically what he's saying is have some faith. Trust me. Trust me. Just take a step. You know, uh, the things we regret the most is the times that we had an opportunity to take a step and we didn't take it for whatever reason. We were afraid to or uh, we didn't think that we could do it or I don't know what, but... You know, you look back on it and you come to the realization, if I would have just took that step, I would have did the whole thing. If I would have just took that first step, that's all it would have take, taken. And that's what faith is. God is just, you only need faith for the first step. After that, God will move your feet. But unless you take that first step, 
you'll never experience the rest of, God, of what God has for you. Take a chance. Hallelujah. I'm going to close with this illustration. I've used it before, but it's really good. I was hoping that uh, Paul and Candy would be here because it, it involves horses. And they, they have horses. They love horses. But the name of this is Two Horses, and the author is unknown. But it says, just up the road from my home is a field with two horses in it. From a distance, each looks like every other horse. But if you stop your car or are walking by, you will notice something quite amazing. As you look into the eyes of one of the horses, you'll discover that he is blind. His owner has chosen not to have him put down, but has made a good home for him. And this alone is amazing. People usually put down horses that aren't uh, useful anymore. If nearby and listening, you will hear the sound of a bell. Looking around for the source of the sound, you'll see that it comes from the smaller horse in the field. Attached to her halter is a small bell. It lets her blind friend know where she is so he can follow her. As you stand and watch these two friends, you'll see how she is always checking on him and that he will listen for her bell and then slowly walk to where she is, trusting that she will, lead, she will not lead him astray. And when she returns to the shelter of the barn each evening, she stops occasionally and looks back, making sure her friend isn't too far behind to hear the bell. Like the owner of these two horses, God doesn't give up on us just because we're not perfect or because we have problems or challenges. To the contrary, he watches over us and even brings others into our lives to help us when we are in need. Sometimes we're the blind horse being, glided by the little, being guided by the little ringing bell of those who God places in our lives. Other times we're the guide horse helping others to see. Good friends like this, or good friends are like this, you don't always see them, but you know they're always there. So we need to have faith. Sometimes it's blind, but then again, isn't that what faith is? It's something we can't see, so it is blind. But we need to be led by it, we need to be guided by it, because after all, we can't see it, but we have to trust it. And that's all God is saying is to trust him. He's going to lead us in the right direction. He's going to guide us. Amen? And along the way, he's going to introduce us to people that need him. They don't need us. They need him. But he needs us to tell them that they need him. And I hope we realize that if you're a guide, you're helping others find God. And if you're not a guide and you're the blind one, you have to trust in the guide, the one that's leading you. Amen? Hallelujah. And uh, you know that helped me to think of my brother-in-law, you know. Maybe he didn't hear the bell. Or maybe there wasn't anybody leading him with the bell. But he was definitely blind. Uh, people just don't commit suicide uh, who aren't blind. You know, it takes, it takes a lot of courage to do that. And I've learned over the years, and this is no guarantee, but 90% of the time, the one who threatens to do it never does. And it's the quiet ones. The ones that aren't that noticeable. Those are the ones. The ones that never speak about it, but they just show up dead some morning because they had enough courage to do it. And, uh, you know, he's a Catholic, and my whole family is Catholic, and I'm sure there's questions going around because the Catholics believe suicide is a mortal sin and you can't go to heaven. Or I know you can't get buried in one of their consecrated cemeteries if you commit a suicide, but, you know, it's like somebody dies of cancer. Will God send you to hell because you got sick? Well, if somebody commits suicide, they're not right. They're sick in a way, or they would never commit suicide. You know, and we can never judge somebody that does that because we don't know what their life was like. We don't know the hell that they were going through. We don't know the torture that they experienced in their minds and in their souls. And so we can't judge them. 
You know, I would never judge somebody. Uh, most people say that, uh, well, that's a coward's way out, you know. No, it's not. Because a coward would never commit suicide. Like I said, it takes courage to do that. So, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to glorify suicide. But I know the God that I serve is not going to send him to hell because of suicide. The only reason, the only way you'd go to hell is if you reject Jesus. That's the only way to hell. I don't want to call this my New Year's message. Uh, it is in a way, I mean, it gives us a little guidance into the new year. I'm ringing the bell. Give us some guidance into the new year. And, and hopefully it'll help us. But it's like I said in the beginning, you know, if, uh, if we don't change something, then nothing's going to change. Change starts with us, and it starts the way you think. You know, because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Or you'll follow your thoughts. And and your thoughts will lead to actions. And your actions will lead to rewards or consequences, one or the other. But it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start with your thoughts, your attitude. But let's have an attitude that something's going to be different this year. Amen? We're going to grow our lives. We're going to grow the lives of the people around us. We're going to be loving. We're going to be forgiving. Amen. Amen. And we're going to go into 2020 with a a clean slate, a blank canvas. And that's that's what's wonderful about new beginnings. You know, my my little niece is an artist. I didn't even realize she was that good until she started posting on YouTube. Uh, But... She starts out with a blank canvas, and she does it in high speed, you know, and shows you how to paint. And you can just watch this thing taking place, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's a beautiful portrait of a mountain, a snow-capped mountain, and beautiful uh, evergreen trees and everything, just a beautiful thing. And it just comes from nothing, you know. And, And that's what our life is looking like right now. We have a new beginning coming into 2020. You know, we should, uh, matter of fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But we should start out with a clean slate, a, a, a blank canvas, a new canvas, and let God paint it for us. Amen. He's a beautiful artist. He knows how to paint, man. Just look at a sunrise. Just look at a sunset sometime. Uh, I take the dog out as the sun is rising. And I'm telling you, every time there's a different sunrise, and I mean, it's the same sun, but just something more beautiful about it every time, something different about it. And I would even send pictures of it. I take a picture of it and send it into Pastor Rest in the house uh, to her phone, and she'd write, text back, beautiful, you know. She never said, oh, that's an ugly sunshine. No, it's beautiful. God is God is a painter. He's an artist, and he paints beautiful. Amen? Let him paint your life this year. Amen? Let's stand on our feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you that we have a new beginning every day with you, Lord. We don't have to wait for the ball to drop in New York City at Times Square. The ball can drop for us every day, every night, every morning. In the middle of the afternoon, we can just repent, ask you to forgive us, and start with a brand new canvas. Oh, hallelujah. There's nothing like new beginnings, Lord. But, Father, this coming year, 2020, what's going to come, come about here in just a few days, Lord? We want to go into this uh, new year prepared, Lord, ready, clean, cleansed restored. So, Lord, we're just going to pray this prayer right now, and we're going to start out with a brand new canvas. Now, I don't know what's on your canvas now. Uh, For (laughs) most people, uh, we could tell you're not much of an artist, but (laughs) and and some of us have an ugly canvas, an ugly picture that we painted this past year. Well, after this prayer, I want you to know that All that's going to be erased. It's going to be washed with the blood. And that canvas is going to be white as snow, blank, ready for a new portrait to be painted upon it by God. Hallelujah. So, Father, we confess right now that we fall short of your perfect standard. You don't have to repeat this, but at least uh, agree with it. 
But we confess that we fall short of your perfect standard. We miss the mark. Matter of fact, God, we just flat out sin against you and against others at time. And so we ask you to forgive us of the things that we have done wrong in 2019, Lord. Help us to remember those that have ought against us and those that we have ought against, Lord, and help us to forgive them. Lord, we speak forgiveness to them right now in the Spirit. And Lord, if, if we have the opportunity, they're still here and they haven't gone to glory, then we will speak it actually to them, Lord, and we will tell them that we're sorry and we'll tell them that we love them. Lord, you said the greatest commandment is that we love one another and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, Lord. And I know that we have fallen short in that area, uh, me included, Lord. So I just ask you, Father, to renew that within us, that love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts, Lord, and help us to love even our enemies, Lord. You made no exceptions. You said to even love our enemies and pray for them that despitefully use us, Lord. So rather than be mad at them and hold a grudge and, and seek vengeance on them, Lord, we forgive them right now. And we, we love them, Lord, and we'll love them with your love until we can get up enough of our own love to love them with. We will love them by faith, but we will walk in love, Lord, because you told us to. So please forgive us all our past sins, Lord. They're too numerous to remember and, and, to, and to name. But Lord, you said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. So we receive that forgiveness. We receive that cleansing by faith right now in Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you that we have a blank canvas to go into the new year with. And we thank you, Father, that we're going to be careful how it's painted this year. God, we're going to ask you to pick the colors and guide our hand as we paint the portrait of our life for 2020, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you. We look forward to a wonderful year. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.